When I was when I was a young person, Pastor Mike, I had a I had a fish tank. How many had fish tanks? You did, yeah. That you know, when I was young, I had a fish tank, and I it was a little ten gallon tank, and I loved my little fish tank. It had the cobalt blue, uh, uh, what do you call it? Gravel. Yeah, I think the blue gravel. I mean, that just one hands down. The blue gravel, and thank you, Deidre. God bless you. Uh, and, I, you know, I had my little goldfish, and I had my little fish. And I used to like, I was, uh, we had just moved out to Long Island, and I was probably about uh, 11. And so I used to like shutting all my lights off at night, you know, in my bedroom, and just keep the light of the fish tank on and just look into their world, their 10-gallon world. And see the goldfish and the gold and the blue, and then you kind of put a little coral in there, and you, you know, become creative. And and uh, I don't know how long that lasted, but I had that. And then years later, years later, uh, I was away on vacation somewhere, but uh, and there was a beautiful pond where we were vacationing, my wife and I, and there were large goldfish in this pond. So we were talking to the guy that was cleaning out the pond, and he was taking care of it. And I said, you know, I had goldfish, and I kind of was making a joke. My goldfish were like that big, you know. So he said, well, that's because you had them in a 10-gallon tank. So what do you mean? Well, he said, well, if you had them in a 50-gallon tank, they grow. I said, are you kidding me? He said, no. And as he was talking to me, God really began to speak to me. And he said that I impaired the growth potential of the fish by determining the tank it lives in. And so here's what the Lord spoke to me. He said, I've called you to go to the body of Christ. He said, the real ministry of a prophet is to smash tanks people live in. Yeah, so tonight I want to smash your tank. I want to smash your tank because the tank is right here. Right here. And we've got, we've got believers, they love God right here. But they live in a small tank right here. And they never aspire or come into really all that God has provided. See, with your heart, you believe unto righteousness and you are saved through a saving faith. It's through faith. Can you say amen? amen. But the quality of your life here is going to be determined by what happens here. We are transformed by the renewing of the mind. Or, or we are transformed by the smashing of the tank. And there are Christians that live with 10-gallon tanks. That's been shaped by tradition, by certain teaching, or certain ideas that were imposed upon them as individuals that they carried with themselves into their relationship with Christ. So they never thought that they could grow beyond what they are. And I believe that the true, really the true call of the minister, the anointed word comes to smash tanks. To expand the possibilities as you catch a glimpse by the spirit of revelation of what God has made available for your growth and for you to become all that he has determined for you to become. Can you say amen? And with God, all things are possible. And if we are ever living in a day when tanks must be smashed, it is this day. 
I serve notice that the only hope for this country is not who's going to get in the White House, but by what's happening in the church house. And as long as we're content to swim with 10-gallon tanks, let me tell you, the environment and the culture and the society we're called to touch will continue to be bigger than we are. But God wants people to arise in this hour and by faith to lay hold of what he has made available to us. We are the light of the... Yeah, not the light of the church. We are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. And one of the great things that the Holy Spirit is doing today is he's bringing about an awareness not of some super anointed ones coming on the scene. You know how like during this whole election process there's delegates and then there's super delegates? Well, in the church we got kind of people who say, well, I'm anointed, but they're like super anointed. Yeah, there's only one that's super anointed. And his name is Jesus. And he took that anointing and he gave it to his body. Come on. Come on. Now we all have different callings. Can you say amen? We've got different job descriptions. But the anointing we have, the anointing is a person. It is the Holy Spirit. And I believe one of the great things that God's doing today is he is alerting and making the body aware of how God desires to move through his body. Not just through some individuals that stand behind the pulpit, but that every member, young and old, I believe that. I believe we're living in a day where it is all about body ministry. Can you say amen? Christ revealing himself through his body. And so I really have come tonight to help build, Pastor, and it's a joy to be with you, to come alongside, I, I liken it this way, Jesus said, upon this rock, I finish it with me, I will, I'll build my church. Someone say build. Now, he, that's a specific word that he used. That means that there's a process. And the moment you think building, what's in your mind then is that through a process that involves certain things, something's going to come into existence. And let's just take a building as an example before we get right into the scripture. When we think of a building as an example, because we are in this sanctuary because it was built, right? It didn't just appear. It wasn't just planted. It's not like a tree. It was built. That means somebody had an idea. Somebody had a design. Somebody had a dream. And then that was able to be communicated to a blueprint where the dream could be, there could be statistics or there could be figures put to it. There could be measurements put to it. And then it became a blueprint. And then the blueprint, once they got the blueprint, then there is material. Well, what kind of material? Is it going to be a block building? Is it going to be a wood building? Is it going to be brick? What is it? There's material. There's a location. All of these things are essential for it to come out of the dream stage so that it's an actual functional building. And then once you get the material, then there's got to be skilled laborers, right? And the laborers come and they're skilled in different areas and they have certain two belts to accommodate their skill. So when the electrician comes, he's got a tool belt. And in his belt, he's got instruments that will help him accomplish what he needs to accomplish in the building. He'll have pliers, he'll have wire cutters, and he's got screwdrivers, and he's got specific tools so he could accomplish his task. 
But then once he's done, then the, uh, the plumber comes. Now when the plumber comes, how many know the plumber does not say to the electrician, uh, I got a job to do, would you mind? You're done, can I borrow your tool belt? Right? Can't do it. Because wire cutters will not help the plumber. He has his own set of tools to accommodate his expertise so he can get a particular job done. He needs pipe cutters, he needs wrenches, he needs specific instruments for what he has to do, and on and on down the line. Well, Jesus was so serious about building that he said he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, pastors, and teachers. What are they? It's not that they're super anointed. They simply are anointed workers that have been given by God two belts. Two belts. And the prophet has a set of tools. And the apostle has tools. The pastor has tools. And we need all of these individuals so that when they come with their tools at the appropriate time, working on the material, come on, guess what happens when they leave? The building is built a little more, a little more, a little more, until finally at the end we can rejoice and say, look at this building. Now, one man didn't build it. It took a coordinated effort. Now Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. But how does he build his church? He gave of his spirit, he gave of his anointing to Pastor Mike and Deirdre, to Pastor Phil Amendola, to Phil Capuccio, and to others, and those in the ministry. And you're not here so much for us. We are here for you. Because he gave these gifts, it says, for the building or the perfecting or the development of the saints. To develop you. Why? For the work of the ministry. Which means, if you don't get developed, the work of the ministry cannot really be accomplished. Because the true work of the ministry is not the activity of what's going on in here. It is the lives being touched out there. That's really the work of the ministry. Oh, there's a place of service here, and we need help's ministry. But the real work of the ministry, study the life of Jesus. Tell me, where did his miracles really occur? They occurred outside. Where did he really preach? Outside. Where did he minister to a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery? Someone say, outside. Outside. And so there is a release of Christ's ministry that needs to happen. Somebody say, outside. Well, the reason you're in here is to become equipped, is to be strengthened, is to see your 10-gallon fish tank of thoughts smashed. So when you leave here and you go on your job, there is a faith that you're not just biding time, but that you're an ambassador of Christ and God wants to give you a word of knowledge, you a word of prophecy. He wants to use your hands to heal. Come on now. The releasing of the body of Christ. Oh, yeah. I'd like you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to read a few scriptures. And I'm going to just take a few moments. 1 John chapter 2, verse 5. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him. How many would say you abide in Christ? 
I love the word abide. You know what it means? To continually dwell. Continually dwell. I have a house I dwell in. Some of you have a house you dwell in. Every one of you have a house you dwell in. But some people then have a vacation house. Right? Christ doesn't want to be your vacation. You know, I got a headache. I got problems. Then we come to church or then we come to Christ. He wants to be your dwelling place. That's where you live. He that saith he abideth in him. Now here's the part. Ought himself so to walk even as he walked. Now don't you try to erase that. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2 verse 21. So he that says I'm in Christ. You are to bear this mark. This ought to be your motivation. This ought to be your desire. You ought to be walking as he walked. 1 Peter 2.21 For even hereunto were you called. This is your calling. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us what? That you should follow his steps. Now Jesus ascended up to heaven, but the Bible says he left us something. He left us his ministry to continue. How many know he didn't take his ministry with him? He left his ministry on earth. That's why he said, these works shall you do. The book of Acts is volume two of Dr. Luke's epic works. The gospel of Luke is volume one. But the God, but the I call it the gospel of the Holy Spirit is Acts is Acts. The former treaties, that's how he starts in the book of Acts. The former volume did I write to show forth all that Jesus both began. Someone say began. Began to do and teach. The gospel is only an account of the beginning of his ministry. But that ministry's been continuing through his body for the last 2,000 years. Can you say amen? But he says here, he also left us an example or footprints so that you would follow in his steps. This is your calling. The great calling of every believer is not just your assignment. As important as that is, as important it is for me to come and tonight to be faithful to do what God wants me to do as important as that is it's my secondary calling it's not my primary calling what's your primary calling to live and walk in the footprints of Jesus Christ in my life as a husband as a co-worker as a son as a pastor whatever the context is my primary calling is to pursue the footprints. Walk into the example of Christ. Can you say amen? Now I'd like you to go to one more scripture. Colossians 1. Verse 12. Colossians 1 verse 12. And we're going to read a few verses here. Now giving thanks unto the Father. Which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance. What that simply means is he qualified us so we can have the inheritance. Isn't that wonderful? We were so disqualified. 
There was nothing about us that qualified for the inheritance. God said, I'll qualify you. He qualified us through his son. Verse 13. Who hath delivered us, that's past tense, from the authority of darkness and hath, past tense, translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Turn to your neighbor said, you have been delivered. He has delivered us from the authority of darkness. Now the devil is a liar. And he will do everything he can. He's incapable of telling the truth. There is no truth in him. He is the father. He's the progenitor. He is the originator of all lies. That's the only thing his seed could produce is a lie. God is the fountainhead of all truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the what? Truth and the life. So we have a lie and we have truth. Now the truth says, you've been delivered. And the devil will come and say, no, you're not. And he'll try to build a case. He'll utilize your symptoms. He'll utilize your feelings. He'll utilize your father. He'll utilize all of your siblings. He'll utilize anything he can to promote his lie. He's trying to sell you his lie. And the reason why he tries is because his lie has no power until you believe it. The lie is powerless. You actually empower the lie when you agree with it. This is where you're vital in the mix. Now I'm going to say something else that may shock you. The gospel, the truth, has no power until you believe it. Has no power until you believe it. So the question tonight is what are you empowering and activating in your life? Are you activating the lie and it will influence you and it will produce the fruit of what the lie has come to do? Or are you activating the truth through faith? The scripture says in Hebrews chapter 3, the gospel was preached unto them, meaning the children of Israel, as well as unto us, but it did not profit them not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. And if you don't mix it with faith, you will not get the product that the truth promises to bring and the transformation. I like it this way. Have you ever read in something, uh, when you read the label, it'll say inactive ingredients and active ingredients. I come from a long line of bakers. And they made bread. They came from Naples. They were bakers. And then when they came to the United States... They were one of, the, one of the first pizza places in New York, in East Harlem. And so pizza is, uh, you know, we all love pizza in our family. We're, we're all big bread eaters. But anybody knows you could put the flour and you could put all of your ingredients. It's not until you add the active ingredient, which is the yeast. That bread is going to stay flat. It's not, nothing's going to happen once the active ingredient just a little yeast, Jesus used this example, one just a little yeast is hidden. And that's the active, because it's really a living thing. Yeast is a living thing. And once you add it, mingle it with the water, mingle it in the mixture, cover it, walk away. When you come back, everything has been affected. Everything has grown. Everything's been increased. You know why? 
because the active ingredient began to pull all the other ingredients, come on, into the mix, and it began to bring transformation and change. But without the active ingredient, the flour will stay there, and whatever else you have in that bowl of mixture, it's gonna, it will never be transformed. It'll be just the way you left it because it wasn't activated with an active ingredient. As powerful as truth is, it needs to be activated with the believing heart. With the believing heart. And I choose to believe the Word of God. Come on, faith is a choice, it is not a feeling. Faith basically says this, it denies its feeling, it denies the testimony, listen, even of its uh, experience as becoming the premise of truth. And you take God at his word. Peter said, Jesus said, have you caught anything? He said, no, Lord, we fished all night. Well, you said you did. He said, well, I want you to go out again. And I want you to cast on the other side. Go deeper. He said, man, we've toiled all night. And we've came up empty. Now, if he stopped right there, he would have remained empty, even though he had the directive to end the promise that he would get a catch. But the key was when he said, nevertheless. Nevertheless, at your word. Now, when he said that, what he said, what he's saying was this, I will deny my experience, the opportunity for becoming the authority that will dictate my future experience. I am a failure as a fisherman. I came up empty, but I'm going to believe your word and I'm going to act on your word. I feel like a failure. My testimony says I'm a failure. My experience says, are you crazy? Go back in the same waters where you came up empty. But I'm going to allow your word through faith to cause me to act. And I'm going to act on what you said. And how many know he came back? Not a failure. No, no, not a failure. Not a failure. I had this very real experience. God was really making real to me. And I want to thank you for your prayers. It was just a week ago was one year since my wife passed. I could hardly believe it was a year. And uh, the day, the very day that uh, we had the funeral service and the day she was buried, in fact, Pastor Lou was the one that officiated over her burial. My car was packed and I was ready to go and my nephew came with me and I went to Long Island to preach that night. So I preached the night that we buried my wife in the morning. And when I preached that night in the, in the service, at the end, I was giving a call to full surrender. And I gave an altar call inviting the whole church to come up. And, uh, and there was a, it was just really quite a response. And I wasn't prophesying over anyone, Pastor Mike. I was just laying hands. Everybody was up here. And, and I was laying hands and just, you know, praying, and people were seeking God, and there was worship being played, and we were just meeting with God in response to the word. And I was just laying hands, laying hands, Father, in the name of Jesus, bless, Father, draw this one. Draw. But I wasn't really uh, ministering personally in that regard. There's only one person that I asked, and it was an older woman. And I came up to her, and I said, 
what are we believing God for tonight? I asked nobody. She said, I have breast cancer. That's what my wife died of. The moment I heard it, immediately I felt assaulted in my mind. Immediately. I can't, I'm quicker than my next breath. So I was about to turn to get the pastor to pray for her. Now she has no idea any of this is going on. So I go to turn, and I, if I've ever was arrested by the voice of God, I, I, I heard the Lord say to me, what are you doing? My word hasn't changed. I was just arrested. I turned to her, put my paws on her head, and I took authority over this invader. I, I don't know. I've, I've not been in touch with her. I would be shocked if she wasn't healed. There was such a sense of authority. And when I walked away, I realized it was more for me than it was for her. Because I could never be an effective minister, regardless of whatever my experience is. His word has not changed. Come on. His word has not changed. Whether you understand your experience, whether you don't understand your experience... Faith is when you agree with God's word. Come on now. You agree with God. And he gives us grace to believe. We are delivered. But it goes on to say, verse 14, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, we've got it, who is the image of the invisible God. And the firstborn, someone say firstborn, of every creation. Then he goes on to say, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers or things that were created by him and what? For him. When I read that list, I said, wait a second. He created thrones, dominions principalities. Uh, Paul also said we wrestle with principalities, but these principalities were created for him. For him. In other words, he even utilizes the fallen angels. He utilizes the devil himself. Can I tell you something? The devil is so deceived. He thinks that he's writing out a script and little does he know he's part of the supporting cast of the story that God has already started. Yeah, he thinks he's writing the story. But he's part of God's story. And so those principalities, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. Isn't that what the Bible says? But we wrestle. Ours is a spiritual battle and we realize that. But even the wrestling is used to make me stronger. It's used so that my authority can actually grow in Christ, be used in Christ. If it wasn't for Goliath, David would have remained a shepherd. But God used not a prophet to reveal he was a warrior. He used an adversary to reveal he was a warrior. Come on. And the very thing that you're facing, God will use it to pull out of you what he put inside of you. That's exactly right. He created all things for him. Verse 17, and he is before all things, by him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church who's the beginning. Here's the word again, say firstborn. 
Now, that word firstborn, and here's, here's going to be the, really the crux of the message. Uh, it's, it's a favorite verse of the Jehovah's Witness. And they try to prove with this verse, because they read firstborn, how that Jesus was created. And he's a lesser God. But that word firstborn has nothing to do speaking about origin. It actually is the word protokos. Protokos, which means prototype. The word that deals with origin is geneo, where we get the word genesis. And with that word, Jesus is the only begotten of the Father. That the Jesus that we worship, the Jesus that came to earth, he certainly did have a beginning. But the word was made flesh. How many know his flesh had a beginning? Yes, he did. His flesh had a beginning. And he proceeded out from the Father. But here, Paul was saying, Jesus is God's prototype. Now, what is a prototype? A prototype is an original or a first model of something or someone from which other forms are copied and developed. When I understand, so we understand Jesus is Lord and we worship him that way as such. We understand Jesus is Savior and because of his love and his redemption, he has given us forgiveness that he atoned for our sins. Aren't you glad for that? And we call him Savior and we call him Lord and we call him Master. He's the one that we serve and all the beautiful, wonderful titles speak something of Jesus. But when I read that he's the protokos or he's the prototype, what that lets me know, what that smashes to pieces is a tank that most Christians live in. That when God sent Christ, God's idea that he would be the first of many more to come. Not in the essence of his deity, but in the essence of his life here on earth. He left an example for us to follow. That we should walk in his steps. And he gave us of his spirit so that as he walked, we also by the spirit, by grace, by faith, by what God has given us, we can walk in the very steps of Jesus Christ. We not only should, this is the high calling of the believer. But too many are satisfied with sins being forgiven and one day I'm going to go to glory. We have songs all about glory. But I've got news for you. Glory is not a place. Glory is the essence of who God is. Nowhere in the Bible will you see about going to glory. It talks about going from glory to glory. It's not a location. It is a transformation. Come on. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10. Hebrews 2 verse 10. For it became him for whom are all things, by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory. And we read that through the 10 gallon tank of tradition. Praise God. Many sons are going to end up in glory. And we color it with our ideas. And we've got pictures of saints with harps. And he's not talking about an afterlife. He's talking about this life. He's talking about our change and our transformation. 
You can't have the same word mean two different things. Come on. And yet, what does it say in 2 Corinthians 3? It says, we all, we all. Someone say, all of us. He's writing to the church. We all with unveiled faces. The tank's been taken away. Unveiled. We all with unveiled faces. Behold him. Behold him. Or behold him as looking into a mirror. That means, now when I look into a mirror, who do I see? Pastor Mike? No, no, I see Phil Capuccio. But what the Bible says, with the, the unveiled face, as I'm being changed, as I look into the mirror, I should see, be seeing more and more of Jesus. And less and less of me. And that's altogether possible. Because we are being changed, it says, even as by the Spirit, going from glory to glory. We go from one dimension to another dimension. Now, we all want to celebrate the glory, but it's the two that'll get you. Come on. It's, it's the two. That little two-lettered word. Because to go from glory to glory, you're going to go through hell to get there. Oh, yeah. You're going you're gonna to go through trials. You're going to go through affliction. You're going to go through a journey, and there's not going to be anything that will clue you in. You're going to have to learn how to trust God. And you say, well, what are you going through? Well, I, I'm just living out my two. That's what I'm, I'm living out my two. But I know that this two will lead me to greater glory. Greater glory for the glory is not worthy to be compared. That's what the Bible says. The affliction, this light affliction, Paul says. He said it's light affliction because it's not worthy to be compared to the eternal weight of glory that shall be revealed. But again, this is not something about an afterlife. It is God's desire and design for this life. When we understand Jesus how that he died for us and he rose again on the third day. And that's the gospel. It's a beautiful message. It's a beautiful, beautiful message. It still has the power to save, doesn't it? But for too many, that's the extent of what they see. The reason he suffered, died, rose again was because I was so disqualified. I was so lost. I was so low. I was so laden with my sin. I was so estranged from God. I was, so, I was in that condition that Jesus had to go through all of that just to reach down, 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 to lift me up so that now, through his redemption, I can now walk and start living the kind of life that he has provided for me to live to the glory of the Father. So my salvation or the fact that I've been forgiven or the fact that now I'm a son of God is not an arrival. That's not the end point. That was a means to an end. Come on. I needed that because I was so lost. I was so far. I was so down. I was so unrighteous. I was so sinful. I was so unqualified that there was nothing of myself that any man can do to rescue me, 
Nobody could have thrown out a lifeline. Nobody could have brought me up a little higher. Nobody could have gone and brought me in a little closer. It took the mighty hand of God. And it took the grace of God. And it took the salvation of God. And the blood of Jesus. And it took all of that to bring me to a place where now I have now come to the place where I can now begin to walk as he wants me to walk. We served 10 years in Boston. And every third Monday in April, every year, is the famous Boston Marathon. It's the largest sporting event in all the country. 500,000 people attend. 26 miles from Hopkinton, Massachusetts, all the way to Boylston Street. But you can't just decide to run the Boston Marathon. You have to qualify. You've got you've to run other marathons lesser marathons that are approved by whatever the board is so that you have qualified to run the Boston Marathon. So when all those people are running the other marathons, guess what they have in their mind? The Boston Marathon. This is not, if they, if they do good with that lesser marathon, they realize this is only to qualify me for the real marathon. Yeah. So when we think about our salvation, when we think about the blood, when we think about being forgiven, all that did was qualify us. Qualified us so that we could be a kind of new creation that he has called us to be by his spirit. And as a result, affect change in this world. Can you say amen? Okay, let me get this to you then real quick. I'm going to skip, skip down. Are you still hot? If you think you're hot, let me tell you something right now. Let me, I wrote this down. Listen, Jesus carried the atmosphere of the world he came from into the world he was being sent to. Jesus carried the atmosphere of the world he came from into the world he was being sent to. When you and I are born again and the Spirit enters your life, or when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, how many know an atmosphere from another world entered you? We are, not, we are, more than, we are called more than just to enjoy the new atmosphere. We're to bring that atmosphere. We're to bring that atmosphere so that through our life, that atmosphere invades the atmosphere we are called to touch and reach. Can you say amen? And in the at that atmosphere, there are words of wisdom, words of knowledge, there's supernatural gifts, there's miracles, there's, there's revelation, there's love, there's compassion, there's mercy. There's all of this that comes in the atmosphere of the kingdom of God, not just for me to enjoy, no, so that now I become an invading force. Hallelujah. All right. When we consider Jesus the prototype, if he's the first model, what is the father looking for to come off that assembly line? First of all, he's a prototype of process. Process. It's a word not many people understand in the church. Process. Luke chapter 2 says these words. And he said to them, how is it that you sought me? Don't you know I must be about my father's business? They understood not the saying which he spake to them. And he went down with them, Mary and Joseph, 
came to Nazareth, and he was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and with man. You know where this is. He's 12 years old. The first time we met him, he was a baby. But then 12 years pass. We don't read anything else about him. 12 years pass, and, and now they're gathered together. It's a beautiful feast time. And then they pack up the goats and pack up the sheep and pack up the tent. And they get the kids. And Mary says, make sure you go get Jesus, Joseph. And Joseph goes, hey, Jesus. And look at where, hey, Mary, wasn't he playing out there? Where's Jesus? She goes, where's Jesus? Jesus was with you. No, Jesus ain't with me. I thought he was with you. And how many know that's one bad day? You can't find the Son of God. You got a problem. And I could just see Mary saying, I told you, Joseph, to watch him. Hey, the angel came to you. You know, it's like, you, you are responsible. Three days, three days, they're looking for him sorrowing. Sorrow. They're weeping. They're weeping. Until they finally go to the temple. And there he is, asking and answering questions. And she said, don't you know, me and your father were looking for you sorrowing. And he looked at her and he said, don't you know? I must be about my father's business. Now, if they found him in the carpenter shop, we would know what father he's talking about. But since he's in the temple, context lets us know what father he's talking about. Right? So then, after he says that, how many know he did not get behind the pulpit? Come on. He didn't heal anybody in the temple. But he went with them. And was subject to the earthly father. And after he made that statement, he put on his carpenter's apron. And he got his tools. And he made another table. And he made another chair. How long did he do that? For 18 more years. 18 years. That means you could be mindful of your father's business. But that doesn't mean you're ready to enter the business. See, people get prophecy and say, the Lord's called me to do. Say, yeah, you're mindful now of your father's business. That don't mean you're ready for the business. And they don't want to go and they say, oh, God, deliver me from this job that I'm on. I need to be in a church somewhere. I need to be evangelizing. I, I need to be, I don't need to be here. Oh, no, no, no. God is preparing you for his business. Oh, yes. You ever read about how Solomon, they built that temple seven years? There wasn't a sound of a hammer. There wasn't a sound in the tool on the temple site. It said all the stones were, were being prepared outside of the site. They were being chipped. They were being cut. They were being all worked on outside of the temple so that at the temple there was neither sound nor tool. It was put together in peace. So what's God doing on your job? He's chipping away. He's smoothing you out. Come on. He's preparing you to fit you in the place he's ordained for you. Jesus was not ready for the business. He walked as a man. Remember, somebody say example. We want to get our prophecy and enter the business the next day. Example. 18 years. Imagine that. 18 years. Why? He had to grow in three areas. He had to grow in wisdom. He had to grow in stature. And he had to grow in favor. 
Wisdom is what's gained by experience. I'll never forget when Pastor David Miner came to Boston. My wife and I were pastoring up there, and uh, we brought him there, and uh, we had a leadership meeting. And at that time, I had a radio program. And Pastor Miner came on the radio program, and then I took him out to dinner. And while we're going out to dinner, he said something I never forget. He goes, Brother Phil, he said, you know, you could say something, and I could say something, say the same thing. You could say it more eloquently. You could say it more anointed. You could say it more powerfully. You could say it he's going on and on and on. He said, but at the end of the day, he said, guess what? More people will believe me. He said, because I've got more gray hair than you. Now, he couldn't say that today because I've grown in wisdom. Yeah. But what he was saying is there's an authority that experience could give you that can never be replaced by gifting. There's an authority that testing. There's an authority and you learn, you learn lessons through your experience. And then that experience gives you an authority that's called stature. Stature means you've got influence. Because you've met, you're a man now of experience. You've gone through some things. Come on now. You've been tested and approved. And then he goes on to say, and as a result of all that, then he started growing in favor. See, we think we get favor first. No, no, no. We got saving favor. But I'm talking about father's business. I mean to get the job done. God said, no, no, no. Before I give you that kind of favor, I need some wisdom. Which means you need some experience. Which means you need to be tested. Which means you got to be faithful with little things before I trust you with greater things. Come on. And then you're going to grow in stature. Then your words are going to have weight and influence. And then I'm going to give you the favor. Come on, that's what, he, that's what he grew in until he stood in the waters of baptism. And what did the father say? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Past tense. Hadn't healed a person. Hadn't raised anybody from the dead. He hadn't preached the gospel yet. All he did was be the first one in the carpenter shop, the last one to turn out the lights. He made excellent tables. I believe if you got a chair and Jesus signed it, it was a chair that would last for generations. No doubt. You think that he ministered any differently when his hands were working with wooden tools or tools for wood than how he ministered when he was laying hands on people that needed new eyeballs? No, 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 no. He was, he was being prepared. It's called process. There was an example of walking with the Father in natural things. The next thing I see, and I'm going to close with this. The next thing I see is John chapter... John chapter 1, verse 32. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a what? And it what? It abode. And this is something very much the Lord's been making real to me. Jesus has, is a prototype of a walk. He's the prototype of a process of growth and development in our, in our Christian experience. But he's a prototype of a man 
that carried the dove. It says the dove abode. You see, as Pentecostal spirit-filled people, we celebrate when the dove lands. Man, he got filled with the Holy Spirit. Dove landed. And that's great. But the emphasis of Jesus was that the dove remained. So we have churches, we got people, they want to go to every conference to keep having experiences with the dove landing. Dove landing. Dove landing. Dove landing. Getting filled again and filled again. And I'm all for that. But the emphasis of the New Testament is not umpteen encounters. It is the spirit walk. The dove abides. And the Lord was really making this real to me when he was opening up this word about the prototype. He said, son, that, that, that was my life's son, that my, my son's life. The dove abode. And this became just such a desire in my life that God, that there would be an abiding presence that when I go somewhere, it's not just a message that I bring the dove with me. Not just in church, but anywhere I go. That there would be a presence that I would bring because of the dove. This, he said, let this be the emphasis. I remember, this is about six months ago, the lady that cut my hair. She's been cutting my hair for a long time. Wonderful a uh, young Puerto Rican girl. I have such a great rapport with her, Caroline, a sweet, sweet girl. But she had some kind of procedure, and she wasn't going to be there to cut hair. And with my travel, I couldn't make another appointment. So they had somebody else was going to take her clients. So they told me that when I showed up, and I was like leaving the next day. They said, we're sorry about it, but something occurred, and she's going to be out for about a week. You want to reschedule? I said, no, no, I can't do that. They said, well, Kristen will gladly take you. I said, okay, I have no other choice. So I'm sitting and waiting, and here comes Kristen. She got like three different color hair. I said, oh, God, I don't want that impartation. You know, it's like, oh, my God. She's got some piercings and three different color hair, and, you know. And she goes, hi, I'm Kristen. So I shake her hand, and she seemed so sweet. So we started talking. She's shampooing my hair, you know. And, but she was very, very open to conversation. So I said, Kristen, I said, are you from around here? So she said, no. She, well, uh, yes, she said, but I lived all over the United States and, and Germany because my father was in the service. And are you from around here? I said, no, no. I said, but I've been living here 15 years, and we're talking, and... And I said, yeah, I travel a lot too. Now, by this time, I'm in the chair, you know. And the way they have it set up, they have these big mirrors. I mean, big. You see the whole thing, you know. And she's cutting my hair. And I, and, oh, really? She said, what do you do? Now, I have shared the gospel. I can't count how many times with in all different settings since I'm 17 years old. I never said what I'm about to say. Never. I didn't even think about it. She said, what do you do? I said, I tell a love story. And I could see her face in the mirror. She's like, like, wow. I said, and the funny thing, Kristen, is you're in the story. She said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, it starts like this. God so loved the world. And within a few minutes, all of a sudden, she's like, I mean, she's wiping her nose. She's, 
And all of a sudden, she opened her life. I felt like within five minutes, I heard every sin she ever committed. It was like, oh, my God. No, I said, she said, I don't know why. I, I feel like I know you. I don't know why I just feel like this. And I shared with her about, you know, about Christ. And she gave me her hand, and I prayed with her. But when I was really thinking about what happened, Here's what the Lord whispered in my ear, Pastor. It's the power of the dove. That's what the dove does. That's what the dove. She didn't know she was cutting the hair of a man that had a dove on him. The dove will make you cry. The dove will take a hard heart and make it soft. It's the power of the dove. I tell you, when I went in my car, I wept. I said, Lord Jesus. I wouldn't trade preaching in a thousand conferences if I couldn't have this life. There's something about this. This is what I want more than anything. To have a Christian with three different color hairs be impacted by the dove. Wow. I just came back, helped my dad celebrate 80 years in Punta Cana. Suffering for Jesus. Somebody's got to do it. And on our way back, we're on JetBlue in the back of the you know, plane, really. My father has nobody near him. He's, he's empty seat, empty row, empty row in front of him, empty row in front of that, and two empty rows behind him. Me, I've got a woman, her daughter. Empty row, empty row, empty row, and three of us sitting in one row. And I was getting a little bit annoyed, I got to tell you, I was. And uh, then all of a sudden, it came to me, maybe God has a purpose for this. You know, would you let me seat you in a crowded row among all the, if I could use you? The woman I was sitting next to, her name was Debbie. Sweet woman. And I try to strike up conversation to see where people are at, so... If I could share with them. So I said, hi. Uh, she said, she, Debbie, I, I introduced my dad. I said, you know, we're just coming back from the Dominican to celebrate his birthday. He was 80 years old. She goes, well, I'm coming back from the Dominican to celebrate my birthday. But she said, but I'm not 80 years old. I just want you to know that. And she was with her daughter. And then that was it. We didn't talk. We're, you know, we're on our flight. And as I laid my head back, I start sensing the dove. I did. I sensed a word for this woman. So as I sensed a word for this woman, and now I just start, Lord, you know, how, how do I share this with her? I don't even know if she believes. I'm going through all these thoughts. I heard the Lord say this to me. He said, don't share anything until you hear we have begun our descent. He said, because she has to sit next to the dove. In other words, let the dove work. She doesn't know it. She's sitting next to a man that has a dove. And there's a presence. Well, I, two hours later here, ladies and gentlemen, we have begun our descent into JFK. So I said, excuse me, Debbie. And we're, now we're, we're down kind of low. is getting something out of She said, yes. I said, uh, I hope you don't think this is forward to me, but I want to ask you a question. Do you believe in God? She goes, eh. Just like that, eh. She said, I said, well, I do. 
I said, in fact, he changed my life when I was 17, a relationship with God. And, uh, you know, I said, and the Lord, he is supernatural and he gives gifts and he gives all kinds of things to reach out to people so that he can make himself known and make his love known. Now, she's looking at me. I mean, we're looking. I said, and while I'm sitting here, the Lord placed something on my heart that I'm to tell you. Do you mind if I tell you? No. I said, well, the Lord showed me 10 years ago, you went through something relationally that was like an atom bomb that could have destroyed you, should have destroyed you. But God has kept his hand on your life. And he's preserved you, even though you don't admit that, you know, you don't believe in him. But God has kept you. And she looked at me and she said, that couldn't have been more accurate. I said, well, the reason this happens is not for you to wonder about me. I know nothing. I couldn't know that. It's God letting you know how much he knows every detail of your life so that he could reveal his love for you. I said, today I'm a seed and I'm a sign to you. That's all I am, a seed and a sign. She was going to Wisconsin after JFK. It was just a stopover for her. I said, God's going to put other people in your life. He's going to begin to water that seed. I said, can I pray for you? She gave me her hand, prayed. I prayed that Jesus would reveal himself to her. She was so, she thanked me very much, so on and so forth. And again, when I left, know what the Lord made real to me? It's not because she, she sat next to a prophet. She sat next to a man with a dove. Which means, if I wasn't in C-32C and you were in C-32C, the very same thing could have happened. But God says, throw away the 10-gallon tank. Live with expectation. Be mindful. I said, Lord, how do you walk then? He said, you walk always mindful of the dove. Keep the dove in mind, always. When you walk like you're holding something precious, how many know you're not going to walk haphazard? If I, had a, if I was just carrying a baseball, I'm going to flip it up in the air and just walk any way I want. But if I was carrying a, pre, a piece of crystal, come on, you would know by observing my walk that I must be handling something valuable. And the Lord says, you want to see the dove be active? Then walk with the dove in mind. Because doves get flustered. And there have been times I said things and I felt the dove's wings begin to spread. And then repent. And the dove came right back. I'm not saying that God leaves us. But I'm saying there's a manifest presence of the Lord concerning things you do and things you say. How many know could threaten and make the dove very uncomfortable? And I've come all the way here to tell you this. God wants Life Church to be a people that walk and live keeping the dove in mind. Because we have a prototype. His name is Jesus. Everywhere he went, things seemed to happen because the dove remained on him. And the power of that dove that ministers, that brings life where there's death, encouragement where there's despair, 
that brings strength with his weakness. That's what the dove does. 